Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a man simply known as Big Poppy. He's a 10-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion. 2022 is inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, David Ortiz. David, thanks for coming on the program. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, being on your show. Uh, big fan of you, you know that. I mean, every time I had to come to Seattle, uh, it was always a very special time because like I always tell you, you know, it was you, 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 you used to be very fun to watch, man. I'm telling you, David. I'll tell you what. How did the Mariners let you go? And we'll get into that a little bit later. But you, you signed with the Mariners when you were 17. You could have been my teammate. I could have, I could have been, I could have been teammate. I could have been teammates with Poppy, Edgar Martinez, and Big Poppy, David Ortiz. What, what? Can- I'm sure the Twins are saying the same thing about right now. <laughs> Look, I mean. In my case, I mean, when the when the Mariners traded me, they need a third baseman. Uh, they were going into the playoff. I was um, I was a prospect in the minor league for them. Uh, but you know how the business goes, you know. So, and I mean, uh, uh, more likely sometimes it's what you need at the moment, and. Uh, uh, they traded me for uh, Dave Hollins at the time, Brotherhead. That was his nickname. That's his nickname. And uh, they they need that guy out of the moment in the big league. So uh, never any hard feeling because I basically don't know what my future was going to be like at the time. I just played uh, in the Midwest League at the time when they traded me. And it worked out perfect for me because they traded me to a to a team that basically uh, a year later gave me the opportunity to win the big leagues. Yeah, and you know nowadays it's like everybody sees these stories. Guys come up with their team, they go on to have great careers, they go to the hall. But it's not always like that. I mean, I remember I came up, I'm fighting tooth and nail with with uh, Lou Pinella when I'm a kid. And he trades me to Cincinnati. I come back, Lou Pinella, to this day, my favorite manager of all time, one of my favorite people. Uh, but I had to find my way. And I went to Cincinnati and I went to Atlanta. I ended up coming back to the Mariners early 2000s where we got to play to, uh, against each other quite a bit, mm-hmm. first with the Minnesota Twins. Your That's journey, right. your journey, you went from Mariners traded to, to the Twins, playing part-time to a first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, I'll tell you this, and, and talking with the other poppy, Edgar, because that was my guy. So we'd always be talking. I remember playing against you when you were with the Minnesota Twins. You did you weren't playing every day. You were nah. spot you were playing here and there. And I remember me and Edgar talking going, This uh, this David Ortiz guy, they don't let they don't let him play every day. He's gonna be he's gonna be really good. We didn't know. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't mm-hmm. say he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame guy. No, no. But I said he's going to be he's going to be a player. He you got chances to, to be good, to be a good player. Right. You I went mean, on to Boston, and the rest is history. 
I I I'm, I was the type of guy, to be honest with you, I wasn't never thinking about being a first ballot Hall of Fame. What I was trying to do was getting the opportunity to play because I know I got the the ability to play the game. You know what I'm saying? But if I tell you that I was thinking about being where I'm at right now, I'd be lying to you because, you know, I heard friend Thomas say once that he know that he was going to have the opportunity to be a Hall of Famer. And I respect that. But there's a long way from a kid coming out of the Dominican Republic, a third world country where you know, things I got better, but it was a lot of lack of opportunity back in my days. And I get the opportunity to jump into the pro ball, you know, go from one team to another. And not even have the opportunity to be in an everyday player. So my career was going like that at the beginning. How the hell am I going to think about the health thing? You know what I'm saying? Right. So, so it was no clue about. But one thing I can tell you is this: once I got to Boston, at the beginning things were a little rough. Also, you know, what I'm saying they have a lot of players right there that, you know, they were making more money than me, and you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, the lack of opportunity was there also, but. I realized that the only way you can change people's mentality is showing them uh, you worked at it. The way the way you approach the game, the way your mentality is, how you wanna, you know, how you do your durability can be how how all the things, all the things that sometimes we don't even know that down the road you start catching up with. Those are the things that I want to show everyone once I get the opportunity, what I'm capable of doing. And 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 that's exactly what happened once I got to Boston. People sometimes talk to me about, hey, uh, why the Minnesota Twins release you? Well, you're playing in a, in a small, small market team. I remember my free agency that year. Uh, not my free agency, I mean, I had to go into talking about my following year. They had to pay me $2 million. They basically at the time say that they don't have the money to pay me, especially now being an everyday player. So what they did, they let me go, go somewhere else. But my last year playing with Minnesota, I hit 20 homers and I got 75 RBIs and I don't even play every day. I was a platoon player. So I keep on telling people, look, once I start taking over 500 at-bats with the Red Sox, why you think it was going to happen? I was going to be hitting 30 and getting 100 RBIs. Simple as that. Because I give sign of, of I, give pe I give people sickness, basically saying that if I play every day, I'm capable of doing that. But the one thing that, 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 that really went under my favor once I got to, to Boston I saw the superstar. I never played with that many superstars. Uh, when I was in Minnesota, a true superstar that was there was Paul Molitor. That's about it. All of us, we were young kids trying to figure it, figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So once I get to Boston, I see guys like Manny Ramirez, Pedro Martinez, Jason Veritek, you know, Normal Garcia Parra at the time. I start getting the real feedback from those guys looking at the work ethic. 
I continue learning more and more and more. And once I walk into that group, you know how that goes, Bunny. You know how that goes. I mean, you get the memo. I mean, this team, uh, we had a tool. We just didn't have, at the beginning, the type of leadership where everybody follow up. Everybody was on his own, doing his own thing, but we wasn't all together into like the following season. And once we got together, boom, we win the World Series. But that was my thing. I always been the type of guy that I always love doing my search. My search. God gave me the talent to be a good hitter, but I take it to the next level. That's basically what I did. Yeah, and and that's funny. You say I, we got the memo. Uh, I know you went. I know that off season, and I heard this story. Tell me if it's tell me if it's true. That off season when the Twins let you go. Did Pedro have a as a, have a role of getting you over to to Boston? Man, everything was so. Uh, I don't believe in I don't believe in coincidence. I'm not that type of person, but everything worked out on a way that it was magical. Because I remember I was a free agent. I was playing winter ball in the Dominican Republic. I was doing really good. And I went to this one restaurant after the game, and I bumped into Pedro. Uh, Pedro and me, we had the same agent at the time. And they were having dinner. I come to this place, and we start having a conversation. And a couple of days before that, the twins let me go. So when, when I told Pedro that that happened, this is what he said. He said, they fucked up. I'm going to make a phone call right now. And he called the Red Sox, and the rest is history. Two days yeah. later, the Red Sox signed, signed me because of Pedro calling them. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And, and, and you know what? It is so cool to hear you talk about, you talk to Frank Thomas. And, yeah, some people, the way they grew up and, and – uh, and that's saying nothing about, you know, Mike Trout. Mike Trout come to the big leagues with the Angels, and he was a superstar from the get-go. And probably put in his ear right there, hey, you got to be a Hall of Famer. And probably his whole career he has been. Nothing wrong with that. But growing up the way you did, and I could imagine, cause I didn't grow up in the Dominican, but my thought was, you know, everybody always told me, well, you're not big enough. So I always had this chip on my shoulder. Go, I'm, I'm going to get to the big leagues. And when I got to the big leagues, I said, I want to get win a gold glove. I want to go to an all-star game and I want to go to the post and and you start to accumulate these things throughout your career. But it didn't start as, oh, I want to go be in a Hall of Famer. It's like, no, no, I want to I want to make it. I want to get an opportunity. You in Minnesota, you didn't get an opportunity from the no. beginning. When I got called to the big leagues, I was the everyday guy from the get-go. You had to just break that wall down and finally you got to Boston and uh and obviously what you did at the is is pretty awesome the career you had but um today's game and i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna just ask this real quick and we're gonna move on but today's game with the shift they went through a shift category where where they'd be shifting certain left-handed hitters quite a bit now this year they changed the rules back where you can't i think you were a big part of those shifts i think madden with the with the tampa bay rays they would really shift david ortiz as a hitter did that bother you? Did that affect you? Did you change how you had that uh, your approach at the plate, or did you just roll with it? 
Because I look at I your never, numbers, it didn't affect it that much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I never really tried to change anything on my swing. The only time that really affected me was when I hit a bullet that it was supposed to be a base hit in between uh, the second baseman or the first baseman and the right fielder. And all of a sudden, you see the, 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 the second baseman cutting the ball over there right in front of the right field, you know. That was the only time I would have been like, damn. You know, but other than that, I never tried to change my approach. I mean, they used to do it for a reason. And the only thing that I can tell you about that is like, that was the only thing that I would say, it cuffed me off from getting 3,000 hits. I will tell you right now. Because if that wouldn't exist, I would. I think I would have a pretty good chance to get uh, uh, close to 3,000 hits because they started doing that to me very early in my career especially once I got to Boston and that is left in the batter nature, hit the ball, you know, right feet and above, you know, the good thing about me was that I was able to use the whole field, but you know that in a good day, when those hands are coming out clear, you know that you were going to be hitting missile down there and, 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 and more likely some of them, they get to be caught. So that happened to me so much. So many times, and to the point that I, at some point, I was like, you know, whatever. But I, I, I think that that affect, you know, probably your batting average at some point. But in the other hand, you know, a guy like me that I was able to use the whole field, sometimes I did take advantage of them playing me like that you know what i'm right. saying because they have to they, they 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 okay they cover so much ground on this side but there's a lot of side a lot of open space down on the other side and and i was really good at driving the ball that way also we talk about your early days in uh in minnesota uh it was a different time back then Coming up to the big leagues, you mentioned Paul Molitor as that superstar. The he ended up being a hitting coach for me in Seattle. Uh, awesome guy, but it was I different. Know, Paulie, yeah, yeah, it was different coming up when when I came up in 1992. When you came up in the late 90s, as opposed to the players today when they come up. And I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong, but but this topic is up for debate. Is when we came to the big leagues, we had to earn our stripes. We had to earn the right to say, all right, now you're a big leaguer. And in the meantime, I know, I know, I don't know what it was like for you in Minnesota, but for me in Seattle, when I first came up, Jay Buner was a guy and he, he gave me a lot of tough love. He, he gave me his condo. He, they let me drive their cars. They didn't let me pay for anything, but I'll tell you, I sat in the front of the bus and I had to shut up. And when I didn't shut up, they'd give me a hard time. But eventually I earned my stripes and, and all of a sudden I belong there. Uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. I felt it, it made me better as a player, better as a person. It seems like today's game, a lot of young, talented players are coming to the big leagues. Don't get me wrong. But it seems like when they get there as rookies, they don't have to go through what we went through as, as kind of earning our stripes. Do you think that's good or bad? That the, There's one side of the argument where they say, well, to make them comfortable from day one, maybe it makes your team better. There's there's an argument that can be made for that. Or do you think 
kind of it's better to have to kind of earn it instead of and I use this as an analogy. I remember it took me 10 years in the big leagues before Nike came to me and said, all right, Booney, we'll put your name on your shoes. 10 years it took. And I remember when I got that, David, it was like I was it was Christmas for it me. It was like, a big deal. It was finally, deal. I heard. Right. I see guys now in double A. They got their own shoe. Is that good for the game or bad? Well, to be honest with you, um, I'm I'm the type of guy that I always use this. I I always use use this say. What well, easy come, easy go. That's one thing. But you know, we are in a we living in a different era. Everything is more uh, it's more of a business than what it used to be back in our day in our day it was more of a pride than business it was a business but it was more of a pride they want you that was that was that was how pretty much everything functioned 20 25 years ago it was more of a pride and then he come the business and then he come the earnings nowadays time has changed now you, nowadays you have to convince the kid to be able to play in a sport that for a lot of a lot of kids is a little boring. The, the, the reason why MLB is doing all these uh, uh, new adjustments is based on trying to motivate the young kids to follow into the baseball game. The baseball game is boring for the youth based on the way you make money nowadays for example you can get drafted out of the high school in the nba you can have in a hundred million uh, a sneaker contract and you can also sign for another 200 million all of a sudden you are 18 years old and you're making 300 million dollars you know that's what the kids nowadays want mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying they want to make that money like this in a heartbeat. In baseball, it's different. You know how long we had to wait to face that multi-million dollar contract. So baseball had to, you know, make those adjustments, even if it doesn't go. I would never change the way I got my things, just like you got yours. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Listen. Me being in the big league, hitting 200, wasn't going to make me a better player at all. You know what made me a better player? Sending me down, figure it out, big boy. And once you figure it out, I call you back up. That made me a better player. But I see a lot of players nowadays that they don't get that treatment. And all of a sudden, their career disappear. Because you know what? Nowadays... There's a lot of kids out there hitting 200 in the big league, and all, all you can get from the team saying is, like, he will figure it out. They don't say that, but they act like it. And to me, at some point, that'll catch up. That'll catch up because it don't make no sense. I mean, you're talking about the best game worldwide. You got to treat it like it, it even if, if, if the time had changed. But... I see MLB nowadays more of a business than pride. Which we, which was the time that we came through, and it's fair. 
because everything had changed. You know what I'm saying? But for people like you and me, that we know what it takes, not just to get to the big league, to stay there. To the stay consistency, there. the discipline, the dedication. You know what I'm saying? They wanting to go out there and whoop on ass every day, no matter who you're playing against. That fire, that fire, I don't see it too often on every play. I used to see it on every play in my days. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, because of the time has changed, the way, you know, kids have been handling it. You know that every ball club now want everybody to be under 20s. You know that when you have a room full of kids, that everybody is in, is in the range between 20 and 30, not older than that, everybody kind of lose in there. Everybody, everybody, the, the player nowadays, they have the type of personality that they act like they are brand, which is fine. You know what I'm saying? But you know that the chemistry and the leadership in the clubhouse from the veteran player is always needed. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Always needed. And and it's it wasn't, you know, it's not necessarily the veteran players I looked to when I was a young player. It wasn't necessarily what they said. It was how they went about their business. How did they behave? First of all, usually to be a, a leader of a team, you got to be a good player. But then from there, it's it's how do you go about your business on a daily basis? Do you go out there when you're not feeling 100 percent because we need you out there? Those are the big things for me that I would look as a young player and go, I want to be like that. That's how that's how you play this game. That that man right there is a professional. That's what I look to as a leader. Absolutely. And 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 reality is that what people don't realize, we're not a hundred percent every day out there. Some day you feel 80%, some day you even feel 60%, but because of the respect. And the situation that you are part of, you're gonna go. You, you're gonna go. I have my days where I feel like shit, and I was like, you know what? We are about to go into the playoffs. My president need me out there. I'm going. Take some medication. Yeah, give me the medication, but I'm going. And all of a sudden, I had the best game of my life of my life because I was I wasn't trying to do too much. And yeah. those are the, 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 the tricky things that a lot of players nowadays don't understand when you don't feel 100%, you don't try to go 120%. You feel 60%, okay, I'm going to go 80 And those 20% advantage go under your favor more likely because you're not trying to overdo things. You're trying to, you know, play it out light. And I was a big fan of going out there even when I don't feel 100% because I was very conservative and I had good results. But... You know, nowadays it seems like the, the players need to be 100% to be able to go over the field, and and that's something that I don't agree with. I think I think that's a great point. It's not brought up enough. Uh, I'll give you a, I'll give you an analogy. Tell me if you think this. 
Now I, I get up there and I, Oh, from, from when I was a kid, when I was 20 years old, I'm swinging hard from the time I started playing until this time I quit, I swung as hard as I could swing. Now everybody want everybody, you know, late in the season are like, Oh, did you go to a lighter bat? I said, actually, I went to a heavier bat and I'll tell you why I already swing too hard. I need something to calm me down and to keep me from overdoing. I think that's a great analogy you brought up with. We're not always a hundred percent when we feel how many times you go out there and you feel too good in batting practice. Like I'm just, I'm just hitting balls out line to line. This is too simple today. My body feels great. It's almost like I feel too good. Like I'm going into the game. Like I want to get a base hits. Aren't good enough today. I need, I need to hit at least two home runs. Well, I've overdone it. I feel too good. But like you said, there's days where I go out there like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through it today. Next thing you know, I look up I two for three with three ribbies and we won the game. Those days where I was feeling too good wasn't my best day. Yeah. I, have, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I had good days when I was feeling too good. But there's always that extra over trying to do things that comes along with feeling too good that our adrenaline sometimes wasn't able wasn't able to manage those moments you know what i'm saying i like yeah, I, I, I i i learned that the more conservative i played the game the better it was for me because i had to be paying attention to so many things you know that batters like us Booney. The pitcher approaches very careful. And if you don't have the patience to not get out of the strike zone, I work extremely hard on staying on the strike zone. And, and to the point that I that I, I got to the point where I got zero hole in my swing. And it was because of how hard I work on that. Because guy like me, pitcher always want me to get out of the strike zone and start chasing high fastball, you know, pitches down and away, that breaking ball, that bounce in front of the plate, they always was looking for, uh, I mean, batter like us to chase that because we were power hitter. But not only power hitter, we can also hit for average. So I had to work extremely hard on, on, on that part of the play. And at some point I realized, man, there's a lot of things that I basically put away that I used to use a lot. So it made me a better hitter. You know what I'm saying? But it, yeah. it, was, it came with experience. It came with the approach. It, it came with the work that it, it were It came with, even into the last day I played, I was asking questions to good players because I always was doing, I always was on, I, I always was on the hunt. I always was trying to, to, to do my search, to continue learning. What That's what I preach to, 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 to the player nowadays, bro, you know, like, one thing that I realize is that there's a lot of guys out there. I don't know if, if, if that is because they are shy. I, I don't know if that is because, you know, the new way to approach the game, this and that. But there's a lot of, I mean, in my days, when I used to see a guy like, like yourself, like David Ortiz, like, you know, I always had questions. You know how many times I ask questions to Paul O'Neill, Mobon, Dergato, Giambi, I mean, a, a, a Junior. 
I mean, that because I want to continue figuring things out because you never start learning about the game. And then I see players nowadays that they kind of like, they're kind of, kind of shy about asking questions and getting getting some info, you know, and this and that. I mean, it's different nowadays. It's very different. You're right. And, and for me as a player, you know, I, I, as a young player, I didn't ask that many questions. But when I got to, back to Seattle for the, for the second time in the early 2000s, I did exactly that. I would sit there and I would follow Edgar around. I said, all right, now, Edgar, you teach me. You got batting titles. I, I want to be better. And I listened and I started to follow him. We were very different as hitters, how we got, how, but, but our approach was very similar. It, we didn't look alike, but we thought alike, and that's that's how I learned. You know, I, you know who I learned a lot from. Never played with him, Manny Ramirez, because I'd always look at right-handed hitters. It, it was tough for me. Johnny Olerud, one of my favorite men in the world. Mm. We'd talk hitting, and I'd say, Johnny, you're left-handed. We 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 can't talk about that. It's a different world for you lefties. But I'd watch Manny Ramirez and his approach, and I'd say this is one of the most disciplined right-handed hitters I've ever seen about sticking with his plan. And I studied him and I, and I used for the second half of my career, I, I used a lot of what Manny did, even without talking to him or playing against or, or playing with him, just playing against him. I watched how he went about his business and I learned from him. I learned from Edgar Martinez. I think that's, that's really important stuff that young players need to do. Look at that guy that has similarities to you and and you aspire to be like not only how he goes about his business but how he, his approach what makes him great many guy like Edgar martinez many ramirez these are the type of hitter that you will learn from them even without having a conversation with them for right. example many that i play with many a lot many was my guy many matter of fact at some point during my career, I got into Manny's mechanic, but as a left, after left in the batter, I don't know if you know what I mean. Like Manny mechanic and my mechanic, when you go down to the battle half, they were pretty much similar. The late kick, you know, with Manny, Manny, the one thing that Manny always taught me about was how light. I want my leg kick to be. And once I got that under control, I began to be very dangerous because I remember me and Manny, we used to practice basically me trying to learn from him. Once I got to Boston, Manny always want my leg kick to be that when I landed, it was like I was landing on top of the X. Mm -hmm. He always used to tell me that, you know why? Because your body going to move less and you're going to be able to see the trajectory coming from, from the pitcher once you release the baby. You're going you're gonna to realize that the, even if the pitcher have a lot of movement, it's going to be less for you because you're not going to be moving. You're not going to be moving at the same time. So we used to work a lot so much. I got to the point where everything was basically on a slow motion once i got that under control you know what i'm saying and when you look at batters like manny you look at batters like edgar you coming up because remember when edgar was doing his thing i was just coming out of the minor league 
right. remember when I was with Seattle, Edgar was already doing it in the big league. You know what right. I'm saying? With Seattle. I remember he used to play third base, and all of a sudden, he began to be a full DH. I mean, watching Edgar, he, I remember I was watching a game where Edgar, Edgar used to get inside the ball so well that I remember a game that I was watching uh, in a spring training uh, where he hit a ball that I thought that the ball was going to go foul, but he got inside of it so much that that ball was like, you see when the ball you think is going to be fine, they just start going around the pole, but fair. Yeah. I was like, man, this guy, I know what he's doing out there on that play. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and those are the type of swing that you always wanting to have question about, have conversation about, because that's how you learn. You know what I'm saying? And then uh, 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 it, it was guys, for example, Coming up, I always want to be like like Ken Griffey Jr. as a left-hand batter. But I realized at some point that his mechanic was very unique. Yeah. And then at some point, I started having conversation with Junior. And because Junior is like a brother to me. And he, he, he don't used to emphasize much on his mechanic. But one thing that he, he used to be good about was talking about his balance, what she said, what is something that everybody need to have, the balance, you know, they're very unique. I, I was a guy that I used to emphasize a lot on coordinate my head, my hip and my back leg. I want all of them to be going through the same motion while I was, you know, loading up. I want everything to stay together so I don't move much, so I don't feel like I'm going to get the ball. I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm just, letting the ball get to me. That was my my main key, you know. And those are conversations that batter need to have because at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty much what everybody's looking for. Build up your confidence, get to learn more and more and more about the approach, the mental approach that everybody have, and you go from there. I always say this, my best hitting coach, one of my best hitting, I have a lot of good hitting coach, but... The one hitting coach that I used to love a lot was Chili Davis. And it was because uh, uh, our routine uh, uh, in the batting cages used to go from conversation to practice to conversation. Right. We used to define pitcher's approach, what our mindset need to be, and what is the result that you were looking for against this guy that you're going to approach today? We used to go by the business like that. And let me tell you, man, I mean, it was magical. You said something that was really cool that slow the ability to slow the game down. It looked mm. like everything was in slow motion. And believe me, late, especially, you know, I'd watch you guys because man, I, even though I was a Mariner, I loved watching that Yankee Boston rival. I, I thought right. it was cool. I think all of us did, you know, that we're playing at that time. Mm -hmm. But you had that ability, and I, I used to watch it. I said, Big Poppy, look how, you know, I'd be talking to other players, especially left handed hitters, young players. I said, See how he almost slows the game down? I think the greatest I've ever seen at slowing the game down was Bonds in, in the early 2000s. I, I, we, we I watched Barry Bonds, and, you know, I get, I talk about him Who's all the time. 
Is it what now tell all right, this is David Ortiz. Tell tell the people out there and people don't understand when they debate about great hitters and great players. I said, let me tell you this. There's a lot of great players. I played with and against a lot of great players. I said, but Barry Bonds, Another he, was, he was playing softball, and the rest of us were playing big league <laughs> baseball. Tell tell the tell the people listening to the Boone Cup podcast how good he was. Listen, when you talk about Barry Bonds, you're talking about something that I don't think in our lifetime we're going to see again. I don't see – there's not one player in the game that I can tell you, hmm, that guy can be like Barry Bonds. And let me tell you, not, not during our time and not during this time, I don't see anyone being like Barry Bonds. Because Barry Bonds, what people don't realize about Barry, he was very unique. And let me tell you, you you thinking about a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., who was, I would say, I would say Griffey, I would say Jr., and I'm talking about offensively. Right. Because defensively, Jr. was not another level. We all know that. Mm-hmm. But we also know that Jr. was not another level offensively. But once you hit Barry Bones on that category, <laughs> Barry Bones was the type of guy that if you give him something to hit on the plate, it wasn't going to be a hit. It's a homer. It's a home run. Let me tell you, a guy that hit 540 some home run in the big league is telling you right now, right here, that Barry Bones in the history of baseball have to be the most dangerous over anyone in the history of baseball batter that I have ever seen in my life. His approach was, I mean, I talked to pitchers that face him with the really, I talked to Gagne. Yeah. Who in his best day, he say on his own word, it was impossible. I mean, you know that a guy that can go from 100 to 69 had the ability to get you out no matter what. He said with Barry, it was difficult. It seems like his timing was better than anybody I have seen. I remember Barry, one time we were playing in San Francisco. I always talk about this. At the time, we have in the bullpen Alan Embry, I don't know if you remember Alan Embry. He was one of the few guys that used to throw 100 back then. Right. And we brought him from the bullpen to face. We we, we were playing, I think it was a three or four game series down in San Francisco. And the first day, like in the sixth or seventh inning, uh, the manager, uh, uh, he brought in... uh, Alan Embry to face Barry, and Barry hit a fly ball that took three hours to come down. Nessa bat, he walked, and when he got to first bay, I I told him, damn, man, you just missed that pitch, huh? He's like, mm-mm, I didn't miss it. I wasn't ready for it. But, Papi, <laughs> I'm going to see him again, and I'm going to be ready for it. Very next day, Booney. Same situation. Here comes Alan Embry to face Barry. Same pitch. 
he hit that ball so far, bro. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I'm, I, is, I'm glad you were seeing exactly what I was seeing because people don't understand that weren't there watching him. When I tell people, you know, they wanted to, and there are so many great players today. But I said, you don't understand this. I said, Barry Bonds in his day, there is not a player I could find that could hit behind him because they're just going to walk him. They, I've never seen pitchers that scared of a hitter. I've never seen the whole thing. It got so bad that my grandfather, who passed away about 20 years ago and played in the 40s and the 50s. Now, yeah, he played from 47 and he retired in 1959. And he is so proud of his generation. He played with Ted Williams his last year in Boston. And he would boom. Oh, he'd tell me, he goes, Brett, uh, Ted Williams, greatest hitter ever walked this earth. I mm-hmm. said, Gramps, I'll tell you what, this Barry Bonds guy, he's really good. The day before he died, Poppy, he said to me, he couldn't talk. And he was he was writing on it. They had a notepad for him and he and he he wrote a note. He said, Jake Peavy. He's got a chance to be a good player, Brett. And he said, yes, you're correct. Barry Bonds is a better hitter than Ted Williams. And my grandpa said that, and I knew right then, David. <laughs> I said, that man's going to die. He ain't coming back to live this down. <laughs> That's how good Barry Bonds was. The I'm fact that Ray Boone admitted it. I'm telling you, I don't care what anybody say. To me, Barry Bonds... I mean, you can have the best breaking ball, the best cutter, the best changer, the best fastball, the best slider. Don't this matter. guy got zero <laughs> hole. Like, I, like, well, numbers don't lie. Look at his number. 200 walks in a season. Who in the hell get that treatment? How about 600 on base percentage? 613. Nah, on, it's nah. stupid. It's like Little nah. League stuff. It's like Little nah. League stuff. You know, I mean, you know how it is. People always, you know, say what they want to say or whatever. But as a baseball player, we yeah. know what it takes, you know, to be that good. Yeah. And not talking about, and I'm not just talking about good here. You talk about a guy that stole many bases in his prime in his early days. You know, I mean, Barry did it all, man. So to me, I don't think at that, at that level, I think it's just him. Yeah. Uh, 2003, you go to Boston. And I was there for that first playoff run. Your first year, you hit 31. You go 101. You end up you end up driving in. I've been and going over this, getting ready for this show. I went, I said, damn, he drove in 100. You drove in 110 times. This is, this is the first year you did it, 2003. I remember that postseason because I was in the booth with Fox when, when my little brother hit that home run. That's off, right. You guys off, off Wake. And that was – that was a part of that. That's when the rivalry was at its best. And that's when Pedro was drilling people. Uh-huh. And I remember I said, I had to say on air, you know, you know, when you're a player, you you do the commentary. Now you're, you're with Fox now. Yeah. But when you're playing, it's a little bit different to be the it's commentator. Different. I remember I was in the booth 2003. We had won. My Mariner team had won 94 games and Fox was saying uh, they wanted me to come in the booth. And I'm like, ah, I really, you know, I disappointed. We didn't get to go to the postseason, but Aaron was playing for the Yankees. I said, all right, I'll go to New York. I'll get to watch my brother play. So I remember Pedro and that's what he, I forget who he drilled, 
But I'm sitting up in the booth and Buck and McCarver, they turn to me and they say, uh, well, Booney, did Pedro hit him on purpose? And I'm going, I got to face Pedro in like three months. I know he's down in the I know he's down in the locker room watching me, what I'm gonna say right now. Yeah, but I can't lie that much. I said, Of course he hit him. <laughs> and they said, What do you mean? I said, Pedro Martinez doesn't miss that bad. Of course he hit him. And I came, right. I came up with Pedro. Me and Pedro came up together. We were at AAA. He was in Albuquerque. I was in Calgary in the PCL. So I've been playing against Pedro my whole life. That's right. The next, the next day, I walk through your clubhouse because I got to go meet with your skipper for the pregame. Uh-huh. And Pedro's in the back. He goes, hey, Booty, I didn't hit him on purpose. <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> I said, and now, all it's, David, all that's going through my mind is, son of a bitch, I got to face this guy like three or four months. I don't want to get drilled. So it was tough for me. Uh, I remember doing the, the thing, you know, Aaron hits the home run. One of the coolest moments as a brother that you could possibly That's have. Right. He was, That's right. Because he was having a rough postseason. I know, man. But 94, uh, that goes into 04. And this is the year when when finally Boston, and it, mo- one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen, you guys being down 03 uh, to the Yankees. And I'm talking about 04 now. And coming back and winning that. And I, to this day, they're like, what are the most impressive things you've seen in sports? I said, in 2004, when the Boston Red Sox were down 0-3 to the New York Yankees, at the, when that rivalry with that was at its height, to come back and not only beat them and then go, uh, go sweep the Cardinals and win the first World Series, get rid of the curse of the Bambino, all that stuff. I said, that's the most impressive thing I've ever seen on a baseball field. Take me through that 04 season. And and when you're down 03, because, you know, the rest of us watching you guys were like, there's no way you come back from that. You just you just don't come back from it. And the fact that you won the first game, you won the second game. Next thing you know, you you did something. You did the impossible. Take me through that 04 postseason, how unbelievable it was. No, man, you know that the Yankees have a – I mean, they got thunders. They, they, they basically have everything they need to win the whole thing that year. Matter of fact, that game three, the last game that we lost against, and it was like fireworks. Those guys were hitting me, so they scored like, I can't remember, I think they, they scored like 18 runs, some crazy stuff like that. And reality is that coming from behind, especially against the ball club that they have that year, was something that it was, I mean, yeah, I can tell you whatever now, but hey, that wasn't the, that that wasn't what anyone expects. Especially, it never happened, especially in baseball. You know, coming back from from all and three, you know, and 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 uh, but you know what? We had good chemistry going on in the ball club. We have good guys. We have guys with big heart. Um, we have a great manager, which was uh, Terry Francona at the time, who always uh, have our back. And to be honest with you, it was a different feeling after we won the second one. Not the first one. The first one, yeah, everybody feels good, but once we won the second game, it was a different type of feeling. And our mojo went to a, a, a whole totally different level. I can tell you that, I mean, 
we were feeling really good about ourselves. Matter of fact, when we went to play game seven in New York, I remember I had this friend that he's part of the media named Carmona from the Dominican. He say, bro, before the game even begin, I tell you, I tell you what I see. I walk into the uh, Yankees clubhouse and it looked like they were having a funeral right there compared to your guys' clubhouse. You guys were, looked like you guys were celebrating a, somebody's birthday. And I was like, well, momentum. They call that momentum, you know, when momentum take over, it's hard to stop. So I, I basically learned from that zero intrigue bouncing back that, you know, we faced a situation a couple of times where we had teams. Uh, uh, we uh, we were up, like that year we played against the, the San Luis Cardinal. We swept them. And then in 2007, when we won the, the World Series again, it was against Colorado, and we swept them too. But I, I tell you what, once we get to the to the, once we used to get to the third game, and we were up, man, I'm telling you, I used to take that so personal, because in the back of my head, always, I had that ghost chasing me about the Yankees series when we bounced back and beat them after being zero and three, you know what I'm saying? I always have dreams about that. I always have nightmares about that, about, man, okay, we are three and all right now. We better finish these people up because I don't want to be facing the same situation that we faced against the Yankees that went under our favor, you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it was pretty, pretty much, I mean, I, I, I had never questioned anyone from the Yankees about what was their mentality when we got there. You know, you, now you give me a talking point to ask Aira, but I yeah. had never had a conversation with him. But I, 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 I would like to know what was going through their mind once we get to that point that we tie the series. Uh, it. it it makes perfect sense because you're on the other side going, what the hell we got to lose? You know, 72 exactly. hours ago, we were packing our bags ready to go home. It's just a matter mm -hmm. of when now all of a sudden we're on the verge of doing the impossible. And you did it. I, I remember just as a player at that time, watching you guys mm -hmm. in the postseason. I said, this, this is the most unbelievable. If they win tonight, this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen because people that don't play the game, Oh, it, it's an unbelievable comeback. But to be on that field, especially with a team as good as the Yankees, and to come back and do that, it just doesn't happen. That's and right. the fact that it happened, I, I, it, I remember watching it going, this is one, one of the most unbelievable things I've, I've ever seen. Absolutely. Uh, 05, 06, you had huge years. You lead the league in ribbies in, in 05, all-star, silver slugger. You, you hit 54 jacks in, in 06. 07. Another great year, World Series champion for the second time, uh, and then on thirteen you get to win a third one. It's like it's like you have a miracle life, Big Poppy. <laughs> you go from the Dominican and don't know where you're coming, getting released from the Minnesota Twins, and now all of a sudden you're on the verge of your third World Series with a completely different group of guys. I know that first one had to be pretty special because Boston had never won. All of a sudden you won, but I wouldn't assume they. 
there's a bad World Series ring that you got in your collection. Compare the three and how different they were. Different, different, different guys. You were the constant in all three. I think you're the only one after going through all this. There were a couple guys that played in two of the World Series, got two rings, but I think you were the constant to win all three in Boston. Well, I mean, do it in the same place is very special, you know, especially, you know, the history behind the Red Sox. Remember, 2004, we basically break the ice, 86 years without winning a World Series. That was huge for the city. That was huge for the whole planet because it gets to the point where people are cheering for you. People just want you to break that ice. You know what I'm saying? And once we did it, especially the way we did it, it was it was even more uh, of a thing than, than than just winning a World Series. You know what I'm saying? A lot of things, a lot of history, a lot of people were, you know. Uh, I heard I heard so many stories. You know, that once once that happened, I basically commit myself to to be a Red Sox for life because it was so many wonderful history behind and story that people. Uh, was sharing with us in, in 2007 was was something like okay we already jumped in this wagon let's 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 keep the line moving you know what I'm saying we had the team uh, our front office was doing phenomenal job hiding players doing this doing that I remember the 2006 season where I break the home run record for the Red Sox I remember having a conversation with the front office about what we need because we ended third or fourth, I think it was, in the division that year. Uh, uh, we need to go back in the old pages where we got people used to being in the playoffs in 2003 and this and that, and I've been in the playoffs that year. That was that was a big thing. So the front office regrouped, put a team together. We won the World Series the following season, 2007. That was huge. I had a really good season that year, and uh, that, that, those are the things that really uh, uh, um, made me proud about my career. Every year that we win the World Series, I was coming in with a good season. You know, I was I was big part of what was cooking, and when we go to 2013, you know that bombing in Boston that was something uh, unexpected. That was something that uh, uh, led in a scar on all of us because I'm already committed to that city. I was big part of that city. I, I I I was the type of guy that I wasn't just a baseball player. I was dealing with a lot of things in the community, you know, and I was I was very committed to it and going through it. Uh, I remember they hand me the microphone to say something to the fans. I was one of the guys that was there the longest. And I, I, I speak my, I, I talk about what I feel at the moment. And I never know that I was going to have the type of impact that, that everybody have on that message delivered by myself. But thanks God, everything went down that way in the city recover from that horrible uh, uh, attack that we all suffer where a lot of people end up uh, being injured some other end up losing their life but it was it was something that we learned and 
at the end of the season, we end up winning the World Series. That was something that it was like in a movie. Bad guy take over at the beginning, but the good guy end up winning it all towards the end. So that city of Boston, man, is 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 something that in my life in general have been a game changer. I will I I wish I can give them more than what I already did because that city made me a better player, a better person. Uh, he just basically got me better at everything. I used yep. to do what I do nowadays because it, it, it was the type of commitment that you don't know that you're going to walk into a commitment like that until you are in the middle of it. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's what I try to tell the young player nowadays. You don't know who you are getting married to until 10 years later. You know what I'm <laughs> That's saying? right. We'll find out soon enough. A lot of you us know what I'm saying? So uh, 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 I married to that city in a type of way that I can never let them down, even now that I'm retired, you know what I'm saying? Because they embraced me like that. And I don't even know that I, wa I was walking into that game. But I love it. And whatever I can do for that city or for any city in the United States, I will get it done because uh, as a being an American citizen for a long time, that country has given my family and myself an opportunity. And I will always appreciate that, brother. You know what's you know what's cool about that. A, a lot of us, you know, we grow up and we go different paths and we play in different cities. I, I recently had Louis Tiot on the show That's right. And, and he sounded pretty similar to what you said when it came to him talking about Boston and what it meant to him, his family and his life. And it was really kind of moving what he was saying to me. And he said, it, it, but he said similar things to what you, it was beyond special to him, the city of Boston and how they took him in. And he, he, he told me all about it on the show, but you're saying similar things. It's a life appreciation, man. Sometimes we take things for granted. And that's when, as a human, we made those type of mistakes. You know, whatever shows you love and embrace you and give you their best, you should give. The, you should do the same thing. You know, and, and, and that city, I was, I was lucky enough to be embraced by and being able to have the career that I have over there. Um. After 2016, you finish your career, 286, 541, 1,748 ribbies, 10 All-Stars, led the league. There's too many accolades. There's too many of them. Uh, Hall of Fame career, you got inducted in, in 2022. The number 34 will never be worn by anybody else in Boston ever again. Uh, but I was looking at this. You're an All-Star your last year. 2016, I, I look at your numbers, and I said, shit, he led the league at ribbies. He hit 38 homers, hit 315, and he retired. Who retires <laughs> after that year? I did because I was hurting everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's tough to walk away, man. You put up – I understand if, you know, you're – I mean, those are kind of normal numbers in your heyday right there. But all of a sudden, at the very end, I could see if you, you know, you drove in 72, you hit 18 homers, 267. Mm -hmm. Ah, Big Poppy, take it off into the – you know, take it off and retire. But you came off like a, an MVP type year and you just took it to the house. And the most important thing, I have one more year left in my contract. 
I have like another 17, 20 million on my contract, but that's 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 what I call loyalty, man. That's I'm telling you what I just told you about Boston. I'm not just saying it. I'm that type of guy, you know. I know that my effort wasn't gonna be the same following the the uh the following season, and it's because I was wear out. Like that season, yeah. I got prepared for that season to give my best, but I I I know I wasn't gonna be able to do it again. So I know how much the fan expect from me on a daily basis. What he was the thing that got the best out of me. But I can never stop being loyal, loyal to those fans. You know why? Because that's how they know me. So I wasn't just gonna eat up a contract, playing one day, not playing another two. I can, I, I can. Once I jump on that wagon, I, I could never do it like that. So. If I'm not going to be 100% in, I prefer not to play. And that was my case. I was having so many injury issues. The good thing, it was that I I was a DH. I don't have to deal with the playing on the field thing. That's why I was able to hit. But it's still, I was I was suffering. I was going through, through my Achilles every time I had to get on base. Because for my bad luck, as I got older, I got better. When it comes down to the strike zone, I I I would stay away from from not swinging a bad pitch, so I would walk more, I would get in base more, and and that wasn't gonna go under my favor because every time I get on base and I had to run, I would you know get sore, get hurt, pain would shows up, and that was one of the major reasons why I retired. But my preparation, my my. The way I used to look at things, the way I used to approach the game, I'm telling you, you never walk away from me. That's pretty awesome. Uh, MLB on Fox now, I get to see you, check it. You guys look like you have a good time on that show. Every time I see you guys, I got to see you. I, I, it, it was funny. I, I saw you walking. Uh, we caught up a little bit on the field at the All-Star game uh, this year, but I saw you guys walking to, to do your show. And it was like, it was like the, uh, uh, what's the name of the, I, I don't know that movie. It was like, here comes, here comes big poppy and a rod and Jeter going to the set. <laughs> I shook your hand on the way by, but it was fine. But you guys look like you have a good time doing that show. How's your new, how's your new partner? How's Jeter doing? Is he, are, are you letting him in the mix? Oh man. I'm telling you, Jeter is great, man. I, hey, I always respect, uh, Jeter. But now that we're spending time together, I even love him more because the guy is lovely, man. He's very respectful, very yeah. friendly. He's a guy who who you want him to do well because he's just such a great human being. He's a family guy. He, he brings his wife and kids around. I mean, it, he's the Jeter that everybody would love to see, you know. And it's fun because I'm a trash talker. I, you know, you have a philanthropy right there to my, uh, to my right, which is Aira, and then now I have DJ in the other side, which is like his personality. Uh, uh, he allow you to do things with him on a such a, in a such a funny way. I don't know if you saw when I hand in the uh, the Red Sox jersey the other day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are the type of things that I like to do, you know. 
so our show doesn't get to be boring. People always want to watch our show because besides talking about the business and getting into the business the way it's supposed to be, we also have fun. And that's what life is all about. I mean, we had a great team over there. We had our producer, Bardia and Kepler, the guys behind the scene who help us out with everything. We also have uh, Kevin Bernhardt. I mean, the guy is absolutely the best. You know, Kevin always, you know, passing the ball around us. I mean, it'll get no better, man. I love that team. And we always on the search to do better, to do well, you know, help each other out with whatever, you know, Aira passed me information, Derek, now that he's new with us, same thing. I mean, it's the same thing that we do in baseball. When you had a good team running, whoever comes in, I just insult to continue winning. That's exactly how it goes down there. The, the, and, and a couple things and I'll let you go. Uh, the rivalry. The Boston Yankee rivalry in in our time playing in that early 2000, there was nothing like it. Uh, and I wasn't even a part of it, but I was just a player that played mm-hmm. against you guys all year. But we'd all as players, the players that didn't play for the Yankees in Boston, we'd watch that game on Sunday Night Baseball because it was that electric. It was That's it right. was a cool time to be a Yankee. It was a cool time to be a Red Sox. That's right. And I could only imagine it had to be so much fun because people ask me about the Yankees all the time. Cause I had a couple of heartbreak post seasons in the, in Yankee stadium where they, where they got us, they got my Braves, they got my Mariners. So I have some, some tough feelings going to Yankee stadium, but I always tell the, the, the fans that ask, I said, you know, cause I always say right out, I hate Yankees. I hate the Yankees. You know, my brother's a manager there now. That's right. You like the Yankees. I said, I'm forced to like them now because, because I got to pull for Aaron. You've got family that, now there. Right. But in reality, I respected the hell out of those teams and, and the men that, that did what they did in New York. Uh, didn't mean I liked going in there and getting whooped, but I definitely had a respect level for them. You were right in the heat of it with Boston. How cool was it, and did it change after 04 when you finally won that first World Series? Well, everybody, it's not a secret for anyone that the Yankees is a team that have uh, uh, the biggest history uh, throughout the whole, you know, baseball. And the Yankees always, uh, since I remember, used to be the team that have the money to hire the best player so they can just go out there and whoop everybody. So being said, every time you're going to go and play against the Yankees, you know that you got to bring your Superman cap home uh, so you can survive in that jungle. Because just, just walking into Yankee Stadium, I remember on my Minnesota days, it was a little scary because you playing basically against the best scene on earth. So once I got to Boston, Things change a little. Now I can see you. Now I have to play against you more often. Now I get to know you more often. Now I face you more often. So now I got to make up my mind. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I always tell people this. The reason why I respect the Yankees so much is because they got the best out of me. Whoever and however get the best out of me, I always have mad respect for it. And that's what they did. 
they challenged me, they got the best out of me, they had the best players playing for them, more likely every year. So you know that to compete against the best, you gotta get ready. And that's what the rival, that's why I used to love the rival because it was no other way to look at it. You get ready because you're gonna fight against King Kong. And you know that King Kong and playing. And once you beat King Kong, you can basically look at yourself like a, you know, King, one of those guys. Right. And King Kong, King Kong knows you beat him. That's right. Um, you know, it's it's different right now. I mean, back then it was Yankees, Boston. Who's going to win? Who's going to go to the postseason? Who's going to win? You know, have a chance to win the World Series. That division's kind of changing right now. We got Baltimore out of nowhere. At the top of the division, Tampa Bay's become tough, man. They have been dominating that division for a while. Year after year after year. Toronto's <laughs> good. It's an ex it's an exciting offense to watch. They could pitch a little bit, too, now with Gosman at the top of that rotation. For the first time, and I think a lot of years, Yankees, Boston, they've been trading spots, fourth and fifth in the division. Now, it's it's the way it's set up and the way the postseason is set up. Mathematically, you could have four teams come out of the East. You can't have mm -hmm. five, but you can have four. That's right. I keep my eye on it, obviously, for, for Aaron's reasons. And and I pull for my brother in a way. I still got to be honest, though, as an analyst, when I say, what kind of team are you dealing with? When you look at these two teams, Boston and New York, this year, do you see any, any one of them able to grab a, a wild card? Because the division's pretty much done at this point. Well... <clears throat> When you think about what Tampa is doing and Baltimore coming out of nowhere, that says a lot about that division. But if you look at the records, yeah, the they're record all over not 500. Right, right. The, the record is not bad. That tells you that the division is tough. It had got tougher. You know what I'm saying? And the other teams had got better. Because the thing is, the problem that the Red Sox and, and the Yankees have is they have no room for revenue they have no room to spend money because right. they already have guys that they are paying big money some of them are injured some others are not having a good season what can you do about it either trade if you can trade them otherwise you have to eat their salary you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so they are in a tough spot i mean look at the trading line just happened and it wasn't big big move and, and neither of the team, you know what I'm saying? So that's those are the things that people need to understand. This big market team, when they commit themselves with players, they don't have much room to be doing trade because if I have a guy that I'm paying 30 million to it and he's not having a good season, it's hard for me to trade him, to trade him because I'm, the other team know that they're going to have to be part of the salary and they probably not going to get what they expect from the guy. You know what I'm saying? And I said right now, to be honest with you, the the way you have you have Tampa and Baltimore giving everybody a hard time, and then you have the Blue Jay that whenever you get wear out from the other two teams, they come and finish you up. So right. they are in a tough spot right now. I I look at it this way. I you you look at it. I think in the, in the West, Texas. 
and Houston are going to go to the postseason. Then you got Seattle in third place. They got some good young pitchers. Not They're so going to be fast, big. my friend. Not so fast. What you are you thinking? Make a move that you need to pay attention to it. Okay, go ahead. That Berlander going back to Houston. Right. Mm, that is going to be dangerous. In a positive way for the Astros. Exactly. In a positive yeah, way. It's, it's, right. It's like it's like the big brother coming home. Coming home. He's he like, knows how he, to handle he, the business he, over there. Right. He I agree is with good you. to go. Look out. I agree with that because it's like, okay, I look at the West and I go, the Rangers are going to go to the postseason. The Astros are going to go to the postseason. There's going to be one team come out of the Central. It's either going to be the Twins or the Indians. Then you got a chance for, you, there's three more spots. And they're either going to come from Toronto. You, you got four teams, basically, I look. You got Toronto, you got Boston, you got the Yankees, and you got the Seattle Mariners for one spot. Who's it going to be? Out of those four. Well, I tell you what, during the playoff to me, playoff experience is huge. Yep. And out of all the teams, the one that have playoff experience is Houston. Yeah. You know Houston, what I'm saying? So it's gonna be tough. We'll see how to play out. Texas is playing really well. I told uh uh I have a I have a good conversation during the the All Star game up in Seattle where my boy the shortstop um, Seager Seager I was talking to Seager and I told him man what is the secret about you guys and I talked to Ubaldi also you remember right. Ubaldi is having a big year yeah and Ubaldi basically told me Papi. We got good chemistry right here. You know, most important thing, all the big boys are staying healthy, which is huge. But the good chemistry that they have going on there is what you, it's, it's basically what, what is cooking everything. I mean, you have a monster like Garcia, the center field. Oh, he, he came out of nowhere. Bro, listen, for the he past couple of years, Ooh. I've been watching that guy. That guy is the player that not many people mention. He's a freaking beast. He's a freak out there. He is. He ain't playing. And then you got Seager, and you got my man at second base doing the damn thing. They are surrounded. They had the court, but they also had the younger players that had been surrounded by the court that they are getting the memo and they are getting things done properly. So I think this is, if, 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 I think they have a pretty good chance, to be honest with you. They have a pretty good chance. Last question. You watching all the games a day. Do you see a young Big Poppy? Do you see anybody out there in the game that says, that he reminds me of me as a young player? Oh, yeah. Uh, I will say uh, my man from Houston. Uh, Alvarez. Alvarez. Alvarez reminds me a lot of myself. That's a good, that's a good call. Yeah, Alvarez and Rafael Dever. He he's a freak. He's a freak. I'm telling you, he he can hit. Boy. He he when he go out there, he got no hard feeling for no pitchers. So he when I see and I like, huh? The guy, man, he he got it going on. He got it. There's there's a few guys over there. I talk a lot with uh, 
uh, Vladimir Jr., that's one of my kids. Uh, he called my Uncle David. I talked to him a lot because he's a monster, too. Like, the talent in baseball nowadays is unbelievable. Very really athletic. But uh, oh, uh, a lot of guys out there that that consistently they are doing the damn thing. It's fun. It's fun to watch. Well, David Ortiz, this has been a pleasure, man. I appreciate you coming on the Boom Podcast, and uh, this is a good one. David Ortiz, one of the best to ever do it, and I mean that, one of the best to ever do it. And all the years of getting beat by you and watching you, uh, a lot of fun as a baseball fan. But, Bobby, hey. thanks for everything. For those out there, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, brother. Take care.